This is Dear Hallmark. Each week, I'll bring you reviews of your favorite Hallmark movies and TV shows. So grab a drink and let's see what we're getting into with this episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to Dear Hallmark. I am Dara, your host for this podcast. And you have just entered a space where we talk about Hallmark Channel, Great American Family, and Up TV. So for this episode, we are continuing a series I'd like to call the Dear Hallmark Masterclass. And the Dear Hallmark Masterclass is simply a mini-series. It's going to be eight episodes in total. But it will be a series of conversations that I have with professionals in the movie business. So we are talking about writers, producers, costume designers, directors, production designers, those those roles that you don't hear about but always have questions about. Those are the people we're going to talk to. And today we are going to be listening into a conversation I had with writer and producer Cass Siggers Beatles. This is a big deal for me because I remember on an Instagram live, I talked about wanting to talk with this woman because she wrote both unthinkably good things and the holiday stocking. And on top of that, I don't know if you guys remember, but in my up TV February, flirty February wrap up, I I did a his a brief history of up TV as I know it as a viewer, um, because it used to be called something else. And I watched the transformation into up TV. During that transformation, they began to do a lot of scripted programming dealing primarily with a black-led cast well Cass was the writer and producer on all of those so it just worked out so perfectly I got a chance to pick her brain as both a writer and a producer so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick micro break and when we come back we're going to get into our conversation with Cass so stay tuned Hello, everyone. My name is Dara, and this is Dear Hallmark. So what we're going to be talking about today, because normally I talk to you guys about Hallmark Channel movies and things of that sort, but this is another installment in our Dear Hallmark Masterclass series. And you guys, I am so excited to have the writer of Unthinkably Good Things and the holiday stocking, Miss Cass Seegers Beatles with us. Cass, how are you doing? Welcome to Dear Hallmark. How are you? Thank you for having me. I am doing so well, and thank you for being here. So before we get into our conversation, I want to give you kind of an icebreaker question, just uh, just like okay. a fun question. So okay. what is a song, an album, or an artist that you just had on repeat as of late? Oh, as of late. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I've had um, Snow Allegra. Oh, okay. As of late. I've been okay. an artist. Um, I'm kind of in a new relationship. So I think it's kind of like the whole lovey dovey oh, thing. Oh, well, congratulations. So, um, yeah, that's that's who I've been playing as of late. 
That's cool. I just tripped and fell down a music soul child kind of thing. I've been listening to his older albums. And I was like, yeah, oh, I yeah, miss yeah, this. Yeah. So I've been in like yeah, a music soul child. Thing. Music soul child's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I love, like, I, um, I, the other day, I listened to Corinne Bailey Ray's first yes. album. Yes. And I had, I, or, and I had forgotten about like how good it was. Yes. Like, Oh, you're going to make me want to go back and listen to that one, too. Yeah. And, um, and while I was in Miami, we played the Love Jones soundtrack. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I forgot how great this, this soundtrack was. So that's kind of been my playlist as of late. I love it. I love that so much. So, Cass, I did mention that you wrote Unthink Unthinkably Good Things, which was the debut movie for Hallmark's Mahogany film franchise line, mm -hmm. as well as The Holiday Stocking, which was Mahogany's first Christmas movie. But of course, mm -hmm. there was a path and a journey before you got to writing those two movies. So could you take me as well as the viewers and the listeners on a journey of what it what what it took for you to get to writing those two movies? Man, that, well, you know, it's been a journey. The journey started 15 years ago, so yeah. we won't even go back that far. Um, but no, I, um, I've been writing for a while. So I've written for Up TV, Aspire. I've written for TV One, for BET. Mm. And when um, Tony Judkins, who was at TV One at one time, moved over to Hallmark and she started speaking about this brand mahogany. We had a, a meeting and I, I shared my thoughts. She shared her thoughts. And she said, well, I think I'm going to have you do one of the projects. And I was like, oh, that would be amazing. You know, I said, I love writing about strong women. Like most of my movies, um, I even got into this and starting a production company so that I could write films about strong women of color and our diversity and our layers, just something mm. I didn't think we saw enough of. Yeah. And once we got started on the project, it originally wasn't going to be the launch project. And they turned oh. the script in and they really loved it. And they just felt like with shooting overseas and these women that they wanted to um, cast, that it needed to be the launch project. So it became wow. the first project wow. for the network. And it was, it's so beautiful. I told you this before we got on the air here, but when I was re-watching it, and it was funny because even me rewatching it, I was like, oh, I just want to protect it because it was like my first rewatch, my first watch was just so ethereal. And I, I just don't I just don't want anything to like taint that first watch. But then I watched it again. And I said, oh, my gosh, I need to find out who wrote this. So what and you talked a little bit about this when you were talking about what motivate like what um in terms of like what's the word, inspired you to write this one? But mm -hmm. what inspires you to write overall? Like, wh where does your love of writing stem from? I don't, you know, I think it's just natural. I've always been a storyteller. Mm. Like, I go back now and I look at my, like, books, like, things I wrote when I was in middle school and junior high school, and I had, like, a poetry book, and I was always writing these little short stories. Wow. Um, so I, I feel like it's just something internal. It's just part mm -hmm. of my fabric. Um, and of course I, I ended up not going to school for writing originally. Um, I ended up going to school for clothing and costuming. What? And then well, <laughs> I know I was a costumer. I was a customer for like eight years, eight, wow. nine years. Wow. Um, met my producing partner, Terry on a film that I was costuming. Um, but I had written a book and you know, it's kind of like whatever you're supposed to do, you get back to it organically. Yeah. And while I was on the road costuming, I wrote a book and that book ended up getting me back into 
getting me into the film and entertainment industry, but getting me back to my love for writing. So what is so. your process like <laughs> when you write books? Are you someone who plots out kind of every dot and tittle of your plot, your settings, your characters, or do you just kind of let the energy flow, you know, fly by the seat of your pants and just start writing and let it come to you. What 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 camp do you see yourself more What's so in? Funny. The very first book I wrote, which was A Girl Named Lily, which ended up becoming Pieces of a Man. Okay. Um, when I wrote it, it was just fly by the seat because I didn't know, I didn't know. Mm. And it was a story I had to get out. I was young. I wanted to tell this crazy love story, part fiction, part true. And I just started writing. And then um I got an editor who kind of fixed it and was like, you need to go back and do this. Mm -hmm. And then I started learning more about structure. And so then I got a publishing deal. And with the deal, you end up having to have deadlines. So mm. I couldn't just be like, oh, I'm just doing it right. <laughs> like right. I really started, you know, outlining everything and knowing my beginning, my middle, my end. Um, when you're working with a publisher, they want to know, you know, what is this book about? How does it sum up? What are your arcs or your characters? So you have to try mm. to do that pre-work okay. in order to really get an official light. And it's wow. pretty much the same in, in scripting, in, in screenplay. So um, I, I no longer, when it's a finished project or a project that's for a network and or a publishing house, I definitely am more structured. I definitely mm. write full outlines. I write full character bios. Um, it, you know, I literally down by the act or down by the chapter, what's going to happen in each chapter. And then I go back and fill in, but because I'm a creative, I'm always writing. So I have mm -hmm. books all over the place. I could show you like just journals of just scribble mm -hmm. scrabble of like, mm -hmm. little things I've just written down. If I say all the time, I'm like, God forbid, you know, when I die, they, they're going to probably look at my journals and be like, this is a crazy woman who just like... <laughs> <laughs> wrote all of this stuff down um, because that's kind of what it seems like the ramblings of a crazy woman, but eventually they turn into amazing stories. Yes. So can you talk about that transition between writing for books and script writing? And how was that transition for you writing your first movie? Um, My first movie was Across the Bear, um, which was for Up TV, which was GMC at the time. Yes. Um and it starred Danielle Deadweiler, who, of course, is freaking Amazing. brilliant. Yes. Um, but um, and she was brilliant then. But um, so it was not, um, I was going to say, it wasn't that it was the hardest, but I can definitely say it was challenging fitting a story into a limited amount of pages. You know, when you're writing a book, you can go into detail with the worlds and, right. and, and give these huge descriptions. And when you are writing a screenplay, you don't do that as much because a lot of that is the work of the director. Mm, so you don't okay. want to have too much exposition on paper because you want to see it, not have them say it. Well, in a book, oh. it's like, I'm sad. You say she's sad or they're sad or they walked into the room with a sad expression or blah, blah, blah. And in a screenplay, it, you, you're not doing that. So that for me was the biggest challenge. Mm. Like, not putting too much exposition on the paper, not saying too much about my characters and letting their actions speak. Yeah. Um, I think that's a transition for a lot of writers. It's hard, whether you write novels or not. Um, when I'm teaching my writing class, like a lot of newer writers, I mean, that's what we do. We we want to put the words on the paper. Yeah. Um, and so that probably was the biggest challenge for me. Um, and then of course, the challenge of being a writer and author and I was already, I had a publishing deal. So I had books, mm -hmm. I, you know, I could just put them 
out. But then here I have this movie. It's like, well, how do I, how do I get this made? So mm. it's like anybody else just kind of starting in a new field and trying to figure out how to sell your project, how mm-hmm. to get people invested in your words. That was probably the next biggest challenge. Not so much the storytelling. Mm. Which can you talk a little bit about story? That's one of my favorite words. I just like, ugh. I love anyone who has a passion for storytelling. What do you feel like with writing books or writing scripts is such a beautiful way to tell stories? Like what about that? What about those mediums do you love telling stories or why do you love telling stories through those mediums? Well, I mean, for books, I mean, I, and I love books. I tell people all the time, like if I have a choice, I'm writing a book. Period. Mm-hmm. I think living writing screenplays and I love that, but it's mm-hmm. so out of your control because you write it and then it has to go through so many other processes to mm. get on film. Um, but what I think I love about books is the escapism. Mm. I mean, and the escapism and you you have control over it. It's like mm-hmm. you put the words on the paper outside of an editor. It is your words. It's what came out of your head on paper. Um, I love storytelling in general just because it, our stories are important. Like, mm. I don't know how I keep saying that, but it's like, that's all we have. Even going back to griots and, and going back to African culture, it's like, you don't know your history if you don't have these stories, whether they're fantastical, whether they're folk tales or whatever, yeah. you know, how do you learn about yourself? How do you learn about your culture and other people? So I try to put that into my stories, even if they're fiction and they're silly or they're whatever. I try to tell these stories of layered women who have normal circumstances. They're going through normal things that I think so many women are going through. So it's something about being able to pass down that knowledge or pass down those experiences that I love so much. Um, Allowing us to be seen in our Mm -hmm. beautiful, multifaceted, amazing way just excites me. Um, so for books and for film, it is it though they both excite me. Film I love because you know it's film and it's 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 visual, yeah. and so the younger people take to it more than they do a book, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a lot out of control, out of your control. Just as a writer, you have to lean on your director. Director leans on the actors. You have okay. studios. You have networks. Everybody has their say, and so you have to really learn how to be um amiable and learn mm. how to work in a group um in order to get your project done and in a novel you just don't you don't you can kind of be isolated in your island and just yeah. tinker away and come up with a project wow so how long does it normally take for you to write a script versus you writing a manuscript for a novel um, a script, um, it varies. Um, mm. Usually, I'll give you kind of like what an outline, like if you get a contract. So mm-hmm. I'll give you the contract way. You get a contract, you give them a synopsis, they say yes, they'll green light it. You have like six weeks to get your first draft and then you have like two weeks to get your next draft and then another two weeks to get your next draft. Wow. So it's a okay. total of about 10 weeks, 12 weeks at the most. Um, that you will have to get it from uh, 
treatment form or synopsis form to entire screenplay form. Wow. Um, it's something that you're doing on your own. I mean, I might tinker with it for a year. Mm. I, you know, I'll yeah. start. I, I usually get out the first draft within a month. Mm. If I'm not mm. doing anything else, yeah. I'll just write it. And it's really just vomiting on the page, just writing it and getting it all out. And then I'll go back and rewrite five, six times. And that may right. take over the next six um, but unfortunately, when you have deadlines and you have contracts, fortunately have contracts, but yeah. unfortunately that a tighter timeline. Yeah. And books, I mean, I'll work on, um, I'll work on a book for a year, a yeah. year or two. It just, because right now I don't have deals and and so I don't have, you know, I don't have a deadline. So I just right. pick it up and write whenever I want keep it moving. So with your screenwriting, and you mentioned this a little bit, what is your relationship like with the director and how long are you alongside the director, either pre-production or like during, while the movie is being shot? Are you still, you know, um, um, in, in, in conversation? Sometimes and sometimes not. Um, okay. With the holiday talking, I was not. The director was Roger Bob and he's one of my mentors. And mm. um, we had a brief meeting. He asked me about a few scenes. He said, you know, why did, what are you thinking here? What do you think about this? What if I change it? What if I can't find this? And then mm -hmm. that was it. Like I was, I heard they were making the movie. I didn't go on set. <laughs> it was done. I was like, oh, okay. And I honestly did not see it. And sometimes I'll watch them before, but I honestly didn't see the holiday stocking until everyone else saw it. Like wow. I watched it. I watched okay. It, um, unthinkably good things because the director was my producing partner. It was Terry and it was in yeah. Italy. I was like, yeah, y'all are getting ready to shoot in Italy and think I'm not <laughs> to be on set. I know that's right. I'm getting ready to be on set. Um, and so, and because it was historic and it was Hallmark's first, uh, Mahogany's first, mm -hmm. um, you know, we were on set to take pictures and do promo and that sort of thing. And they really supported it. And so that was amazing. When I do projects and I work with Terry a lot, she's directed a lot of my scripts that I've written. Mm -hmm. We work together. We collaborate because we're producing partners and we mm -hmm. have our company together. So I'll get the script. I'll pass it to her. She'll have notes. She'll ask about things. I change it. Um, sometimes she gets on set and things aren't, you, you can't get the location that you've written. For mm -hmm. instance, the unthinkably good things. Originally, when Erica ran off house with the dog, it was mm -hmm. written as a goal <laughs> but they don't have this right I was like oh it's so much funnier if it's a goldfish but they don't have it so she calls me I'm not even there yet and she's like yeah they don't have goldfish and I'm like what do you mean she's like I don't know they don't have goldfish over here so we can't do goldfish we have to do a dog and I'm like it's not as funny as a dog but uh, you know those yeah. things happen with the directors and if you have a relationship with them they'll go back to you the writer and say hey but sometimes they don't sometimes they just make the executive decision and change it and you find out when you watch it <laughs> this is not this is not what i put on there right it happens and mind you unthinkably good things is still unthinkably good so i really really appreciated it um so can we sl electric slide into producing really quick because you mentioned your producing partner can you break it down like film industry for dummies? What, cause we have producing and then we have executive producing. Co what, when you are a producer, what does that mean? There's executive producers who put money in films okay. and that's it. 
they don't ever come on set. They, they're investors. They just put the money in and they want to see their return. And th there's that. Um, I am a working producer. So if I'm producing, I am, excuse me, I am meeting with the casting directors. We're talking about who the talent is. We're looking okay. at the schedule. We're making, you know, hiring the line producer or the unit production manager to make sure that we don't go over budget or to make sure that we have the budget or if we have to cut money out of the budget. Mm, um, okay. You are working and looking at locations and making sure you can get the locations and scheduling. So, so you're actively wow. in today okay. um, when you are an active producer. But again, there are producers that make the deals. There are producers that um, I would call and say, hey, I have a script or I have a project that's finished and I want to try to sell it to whomever. And they may make the deal. And for that, they get a producer credit, but they came mm. on the back end. Sure. So it just really varies. It varies um, with, with producer, co-producer, associate producer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's just title. Sometimes it's like the grind. Mm. Now, <laughs> this made me excited because I saw a lot of your producing credits for the up tv movies which we was formerly known as gmc and i actually talked about this i did an episode of my podcast talking a little bit about the history of up tv and how it transformed from uh, the gospel music channel and i mentioned all of these kind of black led all black kind of like play movies that they did it was movies yeah, with they, shot were and like, the they were they 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 and it wasn't just anybody like they had latoya luckett rockman dunbar <laughs> Um, Angel Luke, like they had so many people and to, to know that you were at the helm of that, first of all, is just thank you because me and my sister enjoyed watching each of the, I just finished my rewatch too of the For Richer or Poor TV series that oh, they turned wow. into. Yes, yes I was having a moment. I was having a nostalgic moment. I was like, let me go back and watch that. But can you talk a little bit about your time, what it was like producing uh, those movies? Because unfortunately, we don't see that now with Up TV. But that that was such a beautiful time. So can you talk a little bit about your time working on those those films? Yeah, well, I the first project I did with them was Across the Bear, which was a movie movie. And then mm -hmm. they really wanted to get into doing slates of films, but they're expensive and mm -hmm. it was new for them. It was a new, you know, window for them. So they couldn't put five, six hundred thousand dollars into every particular movie. They needed something they could shoot on a soundstage. So they partnered Terry and I, um, Nina Holiday, with Swirl Films and Swirl does mm -hmm. a lot of films. Yes. Eric and um, and they were in Wilmington at the time. So we had the content. I was the writer. Terry was working. She was a director. Sometimes she was writing. We were working together. And then they had the soundstage and the production equipment and the cameras. So we actually shot a lot of those in Wilmington, North Carolina, before Swirl moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Okay. Um, and so it was, it was such a fun time just because we were able to crank things out and get things done. And um, we all were kind of learning at the time. Like movies were new for me. Movie mm. Swirl was making the transition from music videos to movies and mm. film. Um, and But we had a lot of contacts between my contacts, Terry's contacts, Eric and Keith's contacts. So we were able to call the favors to get the Golden Brooks, the Denise Boutet, the Essence Atkins. Like we yeah. had some like, major names. Leon. Um, Lamont, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Leon, Tommy, my love. Yes. Um, and so, um, you know, we were able to pull the favors and we shot a lot of them on their soundstage and Up TV really used that to launch. Well, that was what they used to transition from GMC because they were just doing music mm -hmm. to doing Up TV. Mm -hmm. um, and so we built a really rich catalog with them. 
with Swirl and with Up. Thanks to Brad Siegel and um his team there. Oh, this is if they were ever to like want to do that again, would you partner with them again? Because I'm like, why did they come with like get away from that? It was so beautiful no. to watch. You know, it was. I just think it's like everything transitioned and the streamers mm-hmm. and everything just kind of got everything kind of moved away from that direction. So yeah. I don't know. I probably wouldn't, but I, you know, I have a lot of mentees and a lot of my babies who write. So I would, I would, you know, get a crew together to, to do it. I just would probably be too busy to do it. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. We want you busy. But, uh, <laughs> but can you give us, and you you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but could you give us, if you were producing, let's say, um, another Mahogany movie, or you were producing another movie for um, another network, what would a typical day look like for you um, as a producer on that set? If you're on set, well, it's like, it's producing starts way before you get on set. Mm-hmm. Like, it starts so early in the game so Mm. if it's not my script and it's someone else's script then it would come to me I would read the script I would talk to whoever the network whomever is it we talk about the budget Mm -hmm. that all that could be at the house of course or at an office but of course now post-covid everybody's at home yeah um we talk about the budget talk about casting who can we get? When do we want to shoot the film? If you're going to shoot it in April, we're going to shoot it in May. Who's available? Then you would start casting and then they would send over. Well, then you start directing. So who's going to be the director? So once we got the director attached, then we'd have give the director cast ideas that we thought about. Then the director mm. comes with their cast they thought about. And then you finally get it all cast, get it all scheduled. And finally you're on set. Now that could take two, three months. That could mm. take three, four weeks, depending on the budget. Mm-hmm. Smaller the budget, smaller the pre-production time. Mm. Um, and then once you get on set, it's literally problem solving every single day. It's like, <laughs> you get on set every morning. It's like, why was breakfast? Where's breakfast late? Where's catering set up? Oh, it's raining. Okay, we got to move. The scene was supposed to be outside. Now we got to move it inside. We got to find a location. Wow. Like, so it's constantly, like you're constantly moving. It's moving parts. Yeah. Um, you have a babysitter. Um, mm. somebody might be upset you have to you know you you're working making sure all the departments are good so mm-hmm. you're checking in hair and makeup y'all good y'all need anything you mm. good is it cold in here hot in here it's talent on time anybody giving you any problems okay let's move on and then you move that to every single department mm. um from you know grip gaffer catering um uh hair makeup wardrobe making sure they have all their clothes making sure the talent is happy with the clothes yeah the talent is not happy got to try to figure out, you know, well, what, what's going to make her happy? Um, what's going to make him happy? And then you have your locations and that's usually owned by somebody. So then you have to make sure they're good. They got their contract. You signed the contract. Everything is good. Do y'all take pictures the way things were before you rearrange things? Mm. Okay. So it's literally like you're a mom, you're a parent <laughs> to all the department, making mm. sure nobody messes anything up and yeah. you can make your um, you sometimes you talk to the director and the AD about the time. How many pages are we shooting today? Did we start on time? If we didn't start on time, are we going to go into overtime? What scenes are we going to not get to today? If we go into overtime, how much is that going to cost? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. so it's all day moving around parts. What, what what are we on time? Are we good looking good on time, guys? Mm. Okay, are we going to have to push this to tomorrow? Yeah. Okay, well, if what is that going to do for talent does that give us an extra day with this person extra day means more money right all equates down to trying to keep everything under or at the budget 
Wow. That's what the producer has to do. Do not want to go over budget. And every decision usually has something to do with the budget. Mm. What, if you can speak on it, what would you say, looking back on your career, was your most challenging film to produce? Like you just kept, it was just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, but you finally saw the light, but it was just super challenging. You, you know what? I would have to say, and it was the most fun, but definitely the most challenging, Digital Lives Matter. And it was not for a particular network, it was independent. Mm. And the reason why, as it was Terry's first directorial, it was her directorial debut. We shot it as an independent film. We had newer actors. We mm-hmm. had DC Young Fly and it. Okay. Simone, so, but they were new. Like DC sure. wasn't DC now. Um, and so that was challenging for Terry. She needed the time to work with them. But of course, time equals money. Mm. Um, and we didn't have a lot of money. It's like, literally, we were like, oh, we're going to shoot this movie with $200,000. Like, let's just shoot it. Let, let's just make it happen. So that's why it was the most challenging because we were pulling favors. We were shooting at friends' houses. We were like, it was freezing cold when it shouldn't have been. It was like mm-hmm. January, but it was like bitterly freezing cold. So, and a lot of the scenes were outdoors. <laughs> so yeah. we were outdoors. It was cold. Um, thank God, Ricky Hughes, who is another amazing producer. She actually produces all of Dave Chappelle's content now. Oh, wow. Um, she produced that with, Terry and I um and so it was really she and I producing it Terry was directing it and it was just challenging because we had very little funds um and we were just trying to make this incredible film um so whenever you don't have the resources or you don't have the finances it it's just challenging because you are figuring it out you are asking people to do things for free Mm. and people don't like doing things for free. And so Mm. it just makes it harder. Um, When you've got bigger budgets and bigger money, you know, and not to say that that makes it easier, but it definitely makes that whole ask easier and your departments are bigger. So you have help. Yeah. When it's smaller, you don't have help. So I would say that was definitely the most challenging, but very rewarding. I mean, we still created this amazing project and it was I mean, Nav and, and DC and Emmanuel Hudson, like they're so funny. Yeah. We literally laughed. Like the yeah. whole entire movie, we laughed. Um, so, you know, it was fun, but it definitely was probably the most challenging for sure. Do you ever find like, since you got your start in costuming, do you ever see that rearing its head some, like when you're on set sometimes or when you're Always. <laughs> I literally was directing a movie for Lifetime and TV One. It's for TV One and Lifetime. It'll be out this year called A Mother's Intuition. Mm-hmm. And I did it last year. And the, I would like, we would start shooting or they would come down. And I'm like, that's not what she had on in that scene. Like, that's not the continuity's off. Mm-hmm. Or this is because I'm used to doing that. So I yeah. literally was with the department. And I was like, okay, guys, let's go over all of this stuff. Like, did you tag your stuff? Did you? And then I was like, I'm sorry. I know I don't want to, you know, like be all up in your department. However, I, I started in this department, so I just want to make sure you guys have your stuff organized or what kind of organization are you using because this is not the right outfit for this particular scene. Um, so it does it does happen. Um, mostly just in that regard, I don't usually get involved with the costumer in the very beginning unless mm. I'm directing it. It is my lookbook. And then we're discussing the looks for the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, I don't. I think wardrobe and costuming, I'll say it all day long, one of the hardest things to do on set. Wow. It is. They're the first ones there setting up. You're steaming, you're ironing, you're getting all the stuff together. You have to fit talent. You have to 
fit talent and make them happy. You know what I mean? Mm. And you have to make them look good. So all of their insecurities, and we all know as women and men, we have insecurities about yeah. things we don't want to wear. Like to wear, I don't look good in this and blah, blah, blah. You have to deal with all of that and then still with the director who wants them to look a certain way. Mm. So you're a psychiatrist and you're a psychologist <laughs> and you are physically labor. You're like rolling in racks and you're like rolling in a steam iron. It's just brutal. I, I just give my hats off to any wardrobe and costumer. I literally did it for years and was like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Wow. Like, I was like, this is hard. I'm set. I don't want to be able to set five, six o'clock in the morning. I don't want to be the first one here setting things up. Nope. I don't want to do it. <laughs> but you transitioned beautifully into writing with these these movies. And with yeah. with <laughs> that, with um, I have to keep saying it, unthinkably good things, because literally I think now, Holiday Stocking, I don't want to brush it to the side because that had so much heart. Starring Nadine Ellis, Tamela Jones, BJ Britt. They, I loved it. I, and I love what Mahogany is doing where they're bringing over actors who may not have worked for Hallmark before, but people in the Black community know who they are. So that it, it'll- Tony's vision. Yeah. yeah. That's her vision. And I love her, what she's doing with the brand. I just think, I mean, just not like, not just my movies, but like, like all the movies that air on Mahogany yeah. um, to, to her with love was really good. Like, I'm just excited about the brand and all the stuff that's coming this, um, this year. We got stuff yes. coming this year. So are you, are you writing another one for Mahogany this year? I'm writing two, two more <laughs> for Mahogany this year. I'm excited. And I'm excited. One of them is a sequel. <laughs> I literally texted and was like, can I tell them? Can I say this on the podcast? She was like, it's fine. You can say it. So you actually are the first one to hear. You're the first one to know. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so um, it is. I'm, we're doing the sequel. Um, it'll come out Christmas this year. So. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. All right. We got to calm down now. Okay, so um, <laughs> so Cass, when you're writing Hallmark Mahogany movies, because they're different from like, well, they're different from like a BET movie or a VH. Right, 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 right. So, what is your inspiration when you sit down to write a script for a Hallmark Mahogany, and what is important to you too when you're writing a script for Mahogany? Um, well, they have the basic principles. There, they are love, sisterhood faith and family. Um, those are pretty much the core like bullets and the core principles that they want to put in each of the film. Sisterhood is definitely ranking up there as top sisterhood and love. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, I kind of start with those kind of stories like, oh, okay, me and my friends, me and my sisters, like, yeah. what is, what are things like, you know, it's a trip or what are things that we're going through? You know, if it's marriage or um, having a family or falling out with your friends or your own insecurities. So I kind of start with things that I know black women are dealing with. Mm. Um, thankfully, you know, they're not dealing with like 19, 20 year old black women. We're dealing with grown women, like 30 and above. Yeah. And, you know, we families. We've got people who can't have children. we got people who want to have kids. We've got, you know, widows and miscarriages, just all of the things that we go through um, as women, period, not just black women, but just as women, but then let's make it even smaller. And we think about the, the problems and the challenges and the beauty that we have in our own community of women as color. And mm. I just kind of take that and I usually build a story around that. 
Um, and as opposed, if you're on BET, like I think about um, sensationalized stories and trauma mm. and just mm-hmm. everything is a little bit bigger and fantastical mm-hmm. and you'll build a story around that. So it's not mm-hmm. as grounded in, in, um, in relationships as okay. it is on a mahogany level. It's really about life and relationships and they want the stories to be relatable um, and have those principles. So I kind of start there mm-hmm. and then I talk to Tony and she's Tony Judkins, who is the SCP of Mahogany. And I talk to her and I say, this is what I'm thinking. Or sometimes she comes to me, like the ones that we're doing this year, she came to me with mm. the, the big idea and said, oh, I want to do something in this world and I want to do something over here. And, and then from there, we kind of, you know, come together with a story. Um, and then I give them an outline of the story and then the team, not just Mahogany, the whole Hallmark team mm. has to read it green light it and then they say okay we're good we can go to script oh beautiful so now, it's a our, process it's yeah. not as easy as you just i want to write something down and then you just start writing it's it's never that easy mm. now how many if you can disclose this in terms of rewrites for like holiday stocking or unthinkably good things how long did that take through the the process to to really get it to where both you and the network thought this is this is what we're going to um, green light. This is what we want to show the people. It's usually three months. Like I said, my contract is usually for twelve weeks. Okay. So it's okay. that it's three three months is usually the time you get. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of go from beginning to end. Sometimes it may may you know bleed into fourteen, but it's never longer than that. Okay. Just because they have a shooting. So if we're shooting something now, I'm writing something now that you want to air for Christmas, Mm -hmm. then it's like, I'm writing it now, I have to be done. I have to be done by a certain time because I have to shoot it at the top of summer so that it can get shot and edited so that it can get into programming by September, October in order to air by November. Wow. So they work backwards, you know? And if it's, you know, most of the things that you are writing, nine times out of 10, the network has an air date in mind. So you work, they work backwards from the air date. Nine times out of 10. Now, if you pitch something, they may not. They may not have an air date. I do have a project I'm producing that I'm not writing. Um, It was a story of mine, but I'm not writing it um, that we sold to Paramount. And it's starring um, Storm Reid. Oh, yeah. And we've hired a writer. And I think we gave her like five five weeks, four or five weeks to kind of come up with her first draft. Um, But we don't, obviously that's one, it's, we don't know when we're shooting. We're shooting it this year. It doesn't have an air date, but it's also Paramount and it's not a network. Right. Networks usually work tighter timeframes. Okay. And students. Wow. I wish we had like 85 hours, but we don't. I just, Miss Cass, I just want to thank you so much for dropping all of these gems and even behind the scenes nuggets of just your writing journey, your producing life. But before I let you go, I just want to ask you for anyone and for me selfishly um, who is a writer or who wants to become a writer, whether author or screenwriter, um, what advice would you give to them? Um, I definitely would say write. I, I have a lot of people that approach me and they're like, oh, I want to write. And I'm like, well, why are you not writing? Like, mm-hmm. because if someone wants to see your sample and you've not written anything, then it's like, you're still in this phase of wanting to be a writer. Mm-hmm. So write, 
you know, don't feel like you have to write and perfect it. Like, oh, I got to just get it perfect. You have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I go through five, six, seven drafts. So no screenplay I ever write is the right screenplay when I first write it. But there's something there. Um, definitely study. I would say I tell a lot of a lot of my writing students get Save the Cat because it's about structure for mm. screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe they have Save the Cat for novels. Do I, is it? They have one for TV. I'm sorry. I'm looking at my little bookshelf over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but they definitely have it for screenplays. And if you are a, if you love books and you, you, you want to write books, I mean, read, read and, and, and kind of get your idea of what your voice is. Don't say you reading. Cause I want to write just like this person. Yeah. But I think the more you read or you can kind of discover your own voice be in tune with that voice, write to your voice. Don't try to write like Cass or write like Maya or write like Tony Morrison. You know, like don't try to mm. write like all these people, write mm. like yourself, you know what I mean? But the only way you can work that muscle and know is to do it. Mm. So you have to do it. Like, even if you're writing short stories, just write, try to write a short story a week. Yeah. If that's what you want to do and you really write, write novels. I mean, the way things are now, you can publish your own thing you can go to amazon you can go to create space i think is amazon's self-publishing um arm and publish your own book mm-hmm. so there's nothing stopping you now you know you can read it yourself and put it up as an audiobook like there's just so many avenues as opposed to when i was writing my novels so i would absolutely say write like just do that just write and then for screenplays definitely study it is about structure. It's it's more challenging to get noticed. However, if you do have something, then you can at least start approaching production companies and agents. If you go to IMDB, imdb.com, you can look up people's managers and agents and production companies. You'll see all the ones, find movies that you like, find the production companies that are making those movies. And usually their contact is on there and reach out to them. Um, you won't get a manager immediately. You won't get an agent if you don't have a resume. Mm-hmm. Um, if people try to jump and get like, oh, I want to be signed with CAA or William Morris or whatever, that's hella hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard even if you have a resume to get signed with them. So don't bank on that and don't wait on that either. You know, you have to take your career into your own hands, even as a seasoned author and a seasoned writer. I, um, I'm, I'm of the motto of my friend, Ernestine Morrison. She's like, create, don't wait. So I'm even mm. of that model. projects that I want to get done that the studios haven't bought. I, they, I, they passed on them. So I'm like, okay, well, let's find the money and go make them. So mm. that doesn't stop. That never stops. You have to bet on yourself. And that's what I would tell writers. Ooh, do y'all hear this? Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Do you have a website or social media that you want to give to the people so that they can contact I you or stay up do. to date with what you're doing? Let's see. I do. Uh, my website it is the same as my social media. It's Cass Siggers. So it's C-A-S-S-I-G-E-R-S.com. So that's my website, Nina Holiday um, Entertainment. And that's ninaholiday.com. That's for the production company. And my Insta and Facebook, I think it's just Cass Seegers. I know my Insta is just Cass Seegers. I don't know about Facebook. <laughs> like it might be, it's still my name though. Regardless, it's still my name. It's no weird, you know, like I'm a writer, not Cass. <laughs> right. 
Oh, well, thank you so much again. And for the viewers and listeners, all of those links will be in the description box if you're watching via YouTube or the show notes if you're listening via podcast. So I hope you guys enjoyed. She's Cass. I'm Dara. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Ciao, my friends. Thank you, Dara.